Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, there is no one higher than you. There is nothing greater than you. Father, we're standing here this evening with our arms and our hands lifted in total surrender to you. Father, whatever it is that people may have come in here needing and expecting of you, we are comforted to know that your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient in every area that we may be weak and insufficient. Your grace is more than enough. You've enabled us to be all that you called us to be, Father. Oh, and we worship you this evening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it's a good practice to listen to the worship songs that you're ministering to the Lord because those lyrics are words when they're written from a perspective of the new covenant. It's a song of actual worship and ministering to the Lord. And it reminds you of just how good God is and how wonderful he's been to you. You're going to be combated during this holiday season with all types of thoughts about what you don't have, what you didn't get, what you haven't made. But every so often you have to remind yourself that God, whatever man says I'm not, it's okay because you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Such a powerful worship song this evening. And there's nothing higher than our God. There's nothing that's greater than our God. So I don't know what you came in here with, dealing with. Submit it to the Lord on today. And watch him as he releases his wisdom on how to bring to pass what you're believing for. Amen? Amen, amen. Well, my name is Minister Vince Thomas. I'm a staff minister here at Linked Up Church, and I have the awesome opportunity to share the Word of God with everyone that is in attendance today. I thank you all for pressing your way on this evening. Um, Pastor Gregory will be back in the pulpit on this upcoming Sunday, as well as for our Thanksgiving service on next Thursday. So for those who are here for the first time, I invite you back uh, this Sunday, either at our Marietta campus at 9 a.m. or right here at our Atlanta campus at 11 a.m., you will be blessed by the word of God that comes from his mouth. But um, if you came for the word tonight, I believe that you are in the right place. And uh, the more I, I just studied this message, the more it just kept exploding on the inside of me. And it's a game changer because it, it rids us of any reason to ever doubt in the love and the grace of God ever again. You see, bad teaching, religion, will keep you bound to what you know. But God wants, you to open, God wants to open you up to a realm where there is nothing that is impossible for you. That all you have to do is believe in him. And so as we go before the Lord tonight in the word of God, I ask that you listen and take great notes, and uh, we'll go as far as we can, and uh, whenever we're done, we'll pick it back up the next time that I have the opportunity to finish. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm trusting in your grace tonight, for it is sufficient. Father, let your love be known this evening. Help us to be aware that you are here in this sanctuary and not only do you desire to be here in the sanctuary, but you are with us every single place that we go. May the word in which you've shared with me come out the same way as I share it with my fellow brothers and sisters here. Not only those that are present, but also those that are listening all over the world. 
Father, we're looking to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Cause us in these last days to be more like you. Help us when all that we do, when it's all said and done, may we give you the glory. May we point to Jesus, who is our life. Father, I thank you in advance for the things you've shown me in the realm of the Spirit, for those miraculous things that will take place as we minister your word tonight. Holy Spirit, I completely decrease. I just want to be used by you, and I totally surrender to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You all may be seated. And as you're seated, I'm going to ask you to open to two opening text scriptures. Romans chapter 5, Psalm 91. Minister Houston led prayer tonight, and he went ahead and just got all over in the text message. So uh, praise the Lord. Minister Houston is praying again. So amen. We got praise reports. Hallelujah. No. dynamic dynamic prayer by minister houston it just shows the flow of the holy spirit everything today just led to um, the message tonight i want to start by reading in romans chapter 5 anytime i get up and minister the only thing you know in short that i'm going to talk about is jesus so if you ever were asked what did minister vinnie talk about jesus it's real in short Uh, But tonight, for however long I'm up, I'm going to take the long way to say Jesus at the end. So I'm going to ask you all, take this journey with me. We're going to look through the word of God, both Old Covenant and New Covenant. And this journey just, oh, I I, I just wanted to just keep going, but I knew I only had uh, 45 or so minutes. So we're going to get to a certain point, and then I'm going to unplug, and then uh, we'll keep going from there. So Romans chapter 5, I'll be reading in verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace. That word peace there means perfect relationship. Everyone say perfect relationship. relationship. Now, I want you to think about that because, you know, society, our our works-based world that we live in uh, will, will make you believe that even though you heard yourself say out loud that you have a perfect relationship with God, deep down inside there are some things that are challenging you to believe that you actually have a perfect, complete, fully mature relationship with the Lord. It says you have this with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To just give you straight to the point, it's all about Jesus. Amen. Anything we teach, anything we say, it all has to point back to Jesus because he's the only way. There There are not many ways to heaven. There's only one who is Jesus Christ. And, you know, to tell on myself, you know, I I, I wanted to really flush out the text in which I would be ministering tonight. So I began pulling out all of my different dictionaries, commentaries. And I mean, I just got into it, even started reading a little Hebrew. I was like, man, I'm really into this. And after doing all of that, you want to know what I got right back to? Jesus. And so it goes on to say in verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. If you can, underline the word stand. If you're taking notes, please notate the word stand. The word stand there is a covenant term. So it says here again in verse 2, through whom we also have access by faith 
into this grace in which we are in covenant to stand in and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And uh, that, that phrase, hope of the glory of God, is talking about, yes, there are things in which God has provided for us the moment that we become born again, but it's to the level in which you believe in what God has provided that you will see it. So when we say the glory of God, we're talking about God himself actually manifested on your behalf. And so tonight, I want us to really evaluate the words that we say and the Christian phrases that we tell people and the scriptures that we quote, because if we don't believe in what we're quoting, it's no good to us. And so when we say things like in the presence of God, what does that mean? When we say things like the glory of the Lord, what does that mean? You know, I grew up in the church, and so I I heard a lot of phrases. And and, in my particular generation, we asked questions like, why? How did that happen? How did we get there? Um, And we were after the generation of do as I say, and you bet not talk back. And so most people in a generation before me, their church experience was, you going to church. I done did all I could with you. I brought you to church. You should know it. And so now my generation comes along and we're, we're told the same thing that that generation was told. Go to church. Well, why? And so we now are with this world that we live in, we're going to be asked questions about what we believe and we have to know what we believe. And I want to just give you another hint. It's not that difficult. God called us to be witnesses of the gospel, not attorneys of the gospel having to argue it. A witness testifies of the good things in which they've experienced. And so the way in which God allows you to be seen and and to be in different positions is that he's going to be so good to you That when somebody asks you, how do you know like you know that Christianity is the way to go? You say, look, I ain't got all the scriptures in the world. I I don't have a degree in religious studies, but I know God has been good to me. Because there are things that separate Christianity from every single religion that is out there. And again, it's very simple. There are good people that are Muslims. There are great people that are Buddhists. In any religion, there are going to be good people. But good doesn't get you to heaven. Because when man says that something is good, it's relative compared to their standard of what good is. But there's only one good, and that is God. And because God has been so good to us, he sent Jesus to die for us, and we are the only relationship in the entire world where God himself got off the throne to buy back those which were his, to raise himself back up, and to make sure we have everything that he's provided for us. Very simple. But we need to deal with, back in verse 1, this past tense, having been justified by faith. When you do a study in the New Testament on the word faith, once you're complete, you will realize faith 
was never meant to be put in material things. Faith creates material things. But faith is only to be placed in Jesus Christ and what he's provided. And so faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so when I hear what Jesus has provided already past tense for me, and Jesus qualified me to walk in what he's provided for me, then there is no doubt on my mind that whatever I believe in him shall come to pass. But anytime our faith is in a material possession, for Christmas, I'm believing that I'm going to get X, Y, and Z. Well, faith in things will always set you up for disappointment. But it's to be faith in Jesus Christ. I'm believing that such and such will change. No, no. I believe that God has been good to me and I'm going to be patient with them so that I'll change. And when I change, sometimes that's the only change that needs to take place. Let's go to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I want to take my time in Psalm 91, so whew, praise the Lord. Starting in verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I want you to underline the word dwell. Because that Hebrew term means place of residence due to covenant. Place of residence due to covenant. It's your covering. And so he who dwells in this covering provided by the covenant, which is the secret place of the Most High, You shall abide within that covering of the covenant, which is under the shadow of the Almighty. Tonight's message, I want to talk about living in the secret place. Living in the secret place. Because once you were born again and entered into covenant with God, he provided a place for you to live in. And because you were justified by faith and not your actions, God is not about to kick you out for bad behavior. And so in these last days, we have to become so convinced that God not only loves me, but he's willing to work with me up until the very end. Now, I want to give a historical context around Psalm 91 to help paint a picture for everyone in the room tonight. Now, in Psalm 91, according to Jewish tradition, this psalm is without a title. And because there's no title on this psalm, the name of the person who wrote this is unknown. And so what they do in those instances is that a common practice in Jewish tradition is for any psalm 
that doesn't have a title and they don't know who wrote it, they ascribe the particular psalm to the last person that they have on record of writing a psalm. And so if Jewish tradition were the case here, that person would be Moses. Now, there are some phrases and there are some words that we're going to pull out from Psalm 91 because it's such a rich depiction of the presence of God that if we run through it fast and we quote it without actually knowing what we're saying, we're going to miss a whole lot of meaning that actually points back to our current covenant that we're in with the Lord. Now, even though we don't know who the official writer is, what we do know is that whoever wrote Psalm 91 had a very personal relationship with the Ark of the Covenant. And if you're taking notes, you can, uh, you know, for reference sake, you can write down Exodus 25, 10 through 22. And so in the Old Covenant, the Ark represented the physical, tangible presence of God. Where the Lord meant for the ark, you know, there was the tabernacle, and then we, we also have the ark here. Even in those times, people were looking to get consolation from going to the tabernacle. No, the consolation was from the ark, which was God's presence. And so God always intended his presence to be the reason and what holds us together, what encourages us and what pushes us forward. Because when we know God is marching through this life with us, we know that we're victorious because God never loses. And so this particular person who wrote Psalm 91, I can imagine him if, if we can. Let's, let's go to the ark as it's up there on the screen. Let's go back to as this person is writing Psalm 91. And as they're writing Psalm 91, I can just envision them looking at the Ark of the Covenant and they begin to depict what that covenant or what the presence means to them. And so in our life, there are things and there are places that we've been where we know, man, if it wasn't for God on my side, I don't know where I would be without God being there with me. And so you've got to have places in your life where you go back to the God. Only God could do something like that. Only God could rescue me. Only God could pick me up and begin to write those moments down. Because when life hits you, you have to be reminded that God is a God who will not change for one moment, who will not change for one time. In fact, he wrote the entire old covenant just to show you how great a character he has. And so when he establishes his character in the old covenant, he then desires to establish a relationship utilizing the new covenant. Amen? So when we see this, let's go back to Psalm 91. Leave, leave uh, the ark on the screen. And let's go to Psalm 91, 1 again. And let's read that now knowing that the person who wrote Psalm 91 wrote it with the ark in mind. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. Got a question. What do you believe created the shadow? The wings of the two cherubim. And so he's looking at perfect protection because of God being with him. It says, he who shall abide in the secret place, that secret place is his presence because of covenant, 
shall live under the wings of his angels. Let's keep reading here. He goes on to say, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, Elohim, most high God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. He's only talking about the top of the presence. He's talking about there is perfect protection when you're in this covenant. Anything that you need is in this covenant. When he talks about that his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Shield means something that protects you. Buckler means something that surrounds you. So when we were singing his grace is enough, we, the, in John we see that Jesus came in grace and truth. His truth or his grace shall be our shield, but not only shall it be our shield, it will be what covers us. And so what God had to do, just like any great teacher, he had to provide an illustrated sermon for people to see exactly what he was talking about. Any good teacher knows you have to have something visual in order for people to truly grasp and understand the concept of what you're saying. And so when you see this picture, I want you to then begin to imagine today that picture is what lives on the inside of you. The Ark of the Covenant represents your relationship with God. It represents the presence of God that is with you every single place that you go. And so we need to now be mindful of self-doubting statements about God's presence. Can I use a, can I use a couple just for purpose of illustration? All right. Um, when we're in ministry, uh, one thing that, that we're encouraged to do is spend quality time, you know, with the Lord so that when we stand to minister, his presence will be there. Uh, his presence is already there. So when we spend time in prayer, we're becoming aware of where God already is. See, we're not singing praise and worship so that God will say, yes, I have a place to go on Thursday. This is the move. <laughs> no, we sing praise and worship songs to become aware of the presence of God that is already with us. Statements such as, Lord, if your presence goes before me. No, no, no. His presence is within you. It surrounds you. It never leaves you. And so whether I pray for three hours or whether I pray for 30 seconds, the presence of God is still here. It's just now up to us. How much do we want to be aware of it? Even right now as I'm talking, the presence of God is in this room. And so if you go back into the old covenant, you see times where the presence of God around the ark was so thick that the minister couldn't stand to minister. What that was is because they had something visual that they could see that they were then aware that, man, God is with us. And so could you imagine if all of us came in here every single time we came together 
And all we were doing was just reminding ourselves of how good God has been with us since the last time we came together. We begin to remind ourselves of how every single time I needed God to make a way, he already made the way and showed me how to walk through what I needed. If you could just think about every single time in your life where it was God in those midnight hours when you didn't trust him the whole time and you knew you weren't on your best behavior, but yet he still manifested something for you. The atmosphere would be electric. That's the key to the quote-unquote move of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always here. But he is a perfect gentleman, and he will not do what you will not allow. But people think, well, he's not here because I haven't been living right. Well, you weren't justified by you living right. You were justified by faith in Jesus. And I want to explain for the few moments I have here on what that art symbolizes today. What will separate ministries, relationships with God in these last days is not another sermon, but proof of what we've been teaching. Proof. I hear it all the time. Yeah, 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 I prayed about it. But did you obey? A lot of people praying. Not a lot of people doing what they heard in prayer. But get this with God. He's not going to leave you by yourself. If you ever have a moment to read Hebrews, you'll see the more you focus on that God is with you everywhere, that's what will be. That will be what cleanses your conscience from what's called dead works. In our vernacular, we say bad habits. Because you can put yourself on a self-help program, but yourself can't help you. Because yourself didn't save you. But it's when you're focused that God is with me. All the time. Everywhere. And he's not going anywhere. That's what causes you to raise up. I want to talk to the person in here that's, you've been beating yourself up because you missed the mark. You've been doubting, does God still care? For God to cease from loving you will be the day he ceases from being God because he is love. And the more you think that God is not with you, the more you think you're doing this life on your own, the more you'll keep committing those dead works. But you, at your lowest, knowing that God is still patient, that he's still kind, that he's still long-suffering, that he's long-suffering to the point that he will wait for you to get your act together. That's what promotes you to do what's right. 
Living in the secret place means living always aware that God is with me. Manifested with me. If I were to share with you an assignment that you had to live in a particular area for 10 years. And I said that when you're living in that area for 10 years, you get to take anything you want with you for the time that you're serving for those 10 years. Who would agree that most of us will make that residence look a lot like the home that we came from? When Jesus came to live on the inside of you, on the inside of you, the moment you got born again, he made your spirit look just like his home, heaven. But because we don't believe that we deserve it, We'll tell him, keep that in the box, Jesus. I know that prosperity, keep that in the box, Lord. Keep that healing in the box. Keep my dreams in the box, Lord. I don't deserve that. Let me earn your goodness. Right now, I want you all to just, 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 just hit the pause button. I want you to, in your, the mind of your spirit, see that your spirit looks just like My wife and I, we recently were sitting down with some pastors, and uh, we were just sharing just similar things with them. Just, just you know, God is really uh, into us strengthening the body of Christ. So we were sitting down strengthening uh, this pastor and his wife, and as we were sitting down with them, it was hard for them to imagine that this has been on the inside of me the whole time. Imagine how many days we went without not accessing what's already within. Because we felt like we don't deserve it. Now I want to answer a question. Why has God given so much detail to the Ark of the Covenant? Well, the short answer is it's symbolic of his relationship with us. And I'll explain why. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'll start reading in verse 2. Living in the secret place living always aware of what Christ has provided for you. It says, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. Now, I want you to underline these next things that are now within the Ark or within uh, this Ark of the Covenant. It says, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, 
and the tablets of the covenant or what we call the old covenant, the Ten Commandments. What did those three things have in common? The gold pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the old covenant. All three of those things represented what man could not do in their own strength. The golden pot of manna represents what we're able to put together as it relates to providing for ourselves and taking care of ourselves. Us doing our own thing concerning our provision. Aaron's rod that, that budded represents man trying to be the one who judges what's right and what's wrong. Man trying to be the high priest of their life, determining what they should and should not do concerning the things of God. And the old covenant represents if you all remember in Psalm, or Proverbs, it says, the curse causeless does not come. And so what people expected is that when they missed the mark and weren't able to have an adequate sacrifice, they were expecting to be cursed as a result of not doing things right. Now, just as a side note, have you all noticed that get into our Christianity? Where this bad thing happened because of something that I probably did somewhere down the road? Well, we read right here that all of those things were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. It was placed inside the Ark to show that God will take care of our provision, that he's forgiven all of our sins, and that we have total healing as a result of God being with us. But let's go on and, 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 and let's keep reading here. It says, and above those three things, so if we could put the uh, picture back up on the screen here. So if we were to adequately describe the Ark of the Covenant, we've already talked about the two angels, and really, that's, you know, that's not really the angels, you know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, kind of a little T.J. Maxx-ish angel, treetopper angel there, whatever. Um, but the angels' wings were much larger than that, and they covered uh, the Ark. And we talked about what was inside of the ark with the gold pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the old covenant. Y'all stay with me. I'm going somewhere. promise you. But as we make our way up to the top, we're going to see right here in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 5, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. The mercy seat. The word mercy seat is the, in here, the Greek word, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's in here, it's, in, it's hilasterion, H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. That's the Greek word for mercy seat. The purpose of the mercy seat was to cover the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and the mercy seat was to be sprinkled by the blood of the one who is qualified to sprinkle the seat. So the power of the mercy seat is determined by the blood that's on the seat. And so Jesus now being our once and for all sacrifice, his blood now is on the mercy seat and the blood will never lose its power. So even in the old covenant, the Lord God did not judge the people based on what was inside of the ark. 
He judged them based on what was on the mercy seat. Which means in our life, there are some things that are going on right now. If we all went home with you that you would say aren't all kosher and aren't all wonderful. But God is not looking at you based off of what's not going right. He's looking at you based off of the mercy seat, which was covered by the blood of Jesus. So when God deals with us, he's not dealing with us according to our actions. He's dealing with us according to the blood that's on the seat. So when you pray to the Lord, it's not about did you do everything right, but did you have faith in the one who sits and reigns above everything that's going on in your life? That's why there is no one higher. There was no one greater. There is no one like our God who sits on top of all the stuff that is not right in our life, who covers every single one of our iniquities and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. The word mercy seat in the Hebrew also means lid or something that covers and it's closed shut. So if you even go back into the Old Testament and you see people that tried to lift up the lid of the mercy seat, they died. That was because God never intended for you to go back and look at your past and see all the stuff you did wrong. God never intended for you to trust in your own way of doing things. God never intended for you to try all these different mechanisms to be healed without his instruction. God wanted you to look at the mercy seat that is brand new every single morning. And so he deals with you based off of that seat. And so I got to studying about the mercy seat because you hear about it, but you don't hear about it. And I wanted to hear about it. So y'all want to hear about it. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Living in the secret place. Now remember, the Greek word I said that starts with an H, and you can listen to again later, it means mercy seat, which is also the same word for covering that comes with the covenant. Where did we hear that before? He that dwells in the secret place, the covering that comes with the covenant. So that means in Psalm 91, he that dwells in the covering that comes with the covenant or the mercy seat shall be up under the shadow of the Almighty. You see how the writer in Psalm 91 was looking at the presence of God and detailing how good God's presence is? But let's go to Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. It goes on to say here, being justified freely by his grace. Oh, wow. So we didn't have to work for this justification. And a layman's term for justification is just as if I never made a mistake. We were justified freely by his grace. But where did this grace come through? The redemption that is in who? So you all are now seeing us. After all this studying we're doing, we're coming right on back to it always being about Jesus. 
But I want to show you something in verse 25 that, man, made me want to just throw everything out the window and run out the house and pick it all back up before my wife got home from school. So uh, uh, in verse 25, it goes on to say, whom God has set forth, talking about Jesus, to be a propitiation. Now let's stop right here. This is Bible study. Let's stop right here. So when I read that, I immediately thought of 1 John 2, 1 and 2. That Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That is not what that word should be in Romans 3 and 25. It says, whom God has set forth to be a hilasterion, meaning mercy seat. The secret place is a person by the name of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to the basis of God's presence being with us, it is based in the mercy seat or the lid that covers all of our sins, who is Jesus Christ. So God is not trying to withhold anything from you because he sent his son to cover and get rid of any reason why he'd ever not want to be with you. So when you live in the secret place of the most high, that means I'm living in Christ Jesus. And when I'm living in Christ Jesus, even though I've got some stuff that's going on behind the scenes, all I have to do is look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Let's put the uh, Ark of the Covenant back on. I want to show you all something else about how important it is to keep looking at Jesus with the cherubims and their wings that are protecting us that are looking after us, I want you to notice where the angels' faces are pointing in. The angels are even looking back down to the mercy seat. All eyes on Jesus. The more we can become aware of God's presence with us, the more we will manifest him everywhere that we go. I want everybody standing to their feet right now. Now, next time I have the opportunity, we'll keep going in Psalm 91 and flushing that out and seeing the new covenant and what that looks like in our lives today. But one point that I can't wait to get to is that when it comes to the mercy seat and us every day constantly being aware that in our personal prayer time with the Lord, it's our responsibility to lay our lives at the mercy of God's word. Sometimes with us being busy, sometimes with life transpiring and life happening, 
we can become professional Christians. And God, he's always with us. But I truly believe that he's looking for us to surrender more. And I'm not talking about a work of the flesh here. I'm not talking about doing works to be made, you know, right. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say totally surrendering to God, that means increasing your belief in all that he's done for you. See, the only reason why you do things in your own strength is because you don't believe in the mercy seat. And all of us have moments, including myself, where I'm going to take some time tonight as well with you all to just talk to God because there are some areas that I need to trust him even more in. There are some areas I need to be completely surrendered to him in. Because I just got to the point where I realized it's just not working. And it's because I'm doing things in my own ability. So with every hand lifted unto God tonight, yeah, we're going to have altar call, but the reality is the altar is right there in your heart. And I want you to focus right now on the truth that God lives on the inside of you. And there's so much that he wants to reveal. All those areas in which you heard and felt his peace leading you to begin to talk to him about, but that initial hesitation you have, surrender that to him tonight. God is not asking for you not to make any mistakes and to be perfect. He's just asking for progress. Come on, let's lift up our hands unto God. And for those who just need some assistance, I'll help you as I'm talking to God for myself. I want us to just talk to God in relationship form. If you don't talk to people saying, thou art thiseth and thateth, then don't talk to God like that. Talk to God like you would your best friend because he desires to be your best friend. So let's talk to God right now and then potentially bring back the last part of that worship song. Heavenly Father, man, you are awesome. I appreciate your patience with me. Come on, open your mouth. Don't leave me out here up here on the altar by myself like the sacrifice. Uh-uh, no, y'all talk to God too. God, I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you for, I'm appreciative of your goodness. Of how you've never left me by myself. How you've been with me in those deep, darkest hours of my life. And I want to know you more. I ask that your spirit reveals unto me Jesus Christ with full discernment of his word. The areas that I haven't been trusting. Father, I commit to you. I commit to your grace. I don't try to do this on my own. Things you told us to do. We shall commit to you and by your grace it shall be established. Hallelujah. 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 God's not upset with anyone in here. He's not judging anyone in here. 
Let him take you further. Let him heal your heart. Most of the habits that you're struggling with are coming from a place of pain. It's not because you're a bad person. It's just the way you've coped for so long. Let him heal your heart tonight. Ask him to help you to forgive all of those people that hurt you. Ask him to reveal to you how much he's loved you and how patient he's been with you. That the least you can do.